New restrictions for pubs and restaurants announced in the UK to consternation of chefs and students alike. This week on Wind Up Weekly. Zero Waste Wine Range launched by London Wine Merchant. Major whiskey producers condemn sexist language used in the Whiskey Bible. And as ever, our Wine of the Week. So let's start with um, our week in wine, which has again been dominated by fires, which have sprung up in Napa Valley. And we do have the stench of smoke, unfortunately, and hazy air as well. Yes, so far um, from this morning's news, we've seen uh, two wineries that have reported extensive damage, Chateau Boswell in St. Helena in Napa Valley, uh, as well as Hourglass, which has holdings in both St. Right, Helena and Right, a friend of mine posted a photo on and Instagram that's where this the morning. fire started, and, and now it's creeping over huge, uh, into Sonoma Valley, uh, back near Santa Rosa. So Kind of bad you know, very similar very to what today, happened in 2017. Well, so all very concerning for, of course, the communities uh, there, as well as the winemakers who have kind of faced blow after blow in, during this 2020 harvest. Um, so hopefully we can get the fires contained soon. But for now, lots of smoky air and, and flames is kind of has been the new norm here in California. Yes, and it is predicted to get a, a bit cooler um, during the week, so hopefully um, good news ahead. Um, but let's move on to our week in wine, because there have been good things to talk about as well. It's not all doom and gloom. Uh, it was actually my birthday last week, and so Katie very kindly took me out to a restaurant in Sonoma where we ate with some friends, and fantastic wine. Yeah, as you say, the wind, that's also a huge factor in what's causing the spread and the rapid spread, so making it really hard for the firefighters to combat it. But uh, let's hope for some still cooler days here to come. Yes, it's called Valley Bar and Bottle, right on the square in Sonoma, California. And they've really prided themselves off of offering a very safe environment to eat out, to dine out. They have a nice uh, back patio. Uh, Everyone, you know, really adheres to the the mask-wearing regulations. And not only the servers, but they also encourage the patrons, the guests, to also wear them when staff approaches the tables, just so they can provide a really safe experience so and, also and not Siddle, to mention their the wine list is amazing is um, and their food and that was is very very good as well so glad you enjoyed had, it matthew so much to reminisce about um, california i was talking about going back to the 1960s and how he's always had a love affair with california wine and how they present can present good value when he's talking about gallows burgundy uh, hearty burgundy which is just, it's just a good fruity wine and then talking about high-end wines as well which are also fantastic and then richard talking about how he really loves the lodi and the people and the climate and just the the style of the wines being produced so a real just a positive reflection on california wine
Absolutely. And they were critical of some aspects in which California can improve. So it wasn't just kind of a, a love-in. Uh, some really good, solid advice. Yes, it was really nice hearing uh, the perspective from Oz and Richard, uh, kind of that UK point of view, but Oz really providing the, you know, wine lever full of, you know, the tasting experience, the stories behind the wines, and Richard really offering a business perspective. And so combined, it really offered a pretty uh, comprehensive uh, view of California wine as uh, it's known in export markets, like important ones Uh, like the UK. You're not busy enough already. And um, dealing with some grapes, which might or might not have smoke taint and really trying to get the quality as high as possible. And to our listeners, if you want to catch that episode, uh, the California Wine Institute will upload it to their YouTube website shortly. So that'll be available there in case you ever want to check it out. Yeah, you know, it it really is interesting because you find some lots of of grapes that come in and they look beautiful, perfect fruit, and then others, not so great. And it's all about, you know, now what they're kind of referring to as the 2020 vintage is sort of the winemaker's vintage, you know, and the fact that uh, some corrections need to be made in the winery to limit the effects uh, that the smoke and the ashes had on the fruit. um, And there's lots of research being done, uh, lots of new things coming out. And I think all the winemakers are just trying to stay abreast of the latest and greatest information. So lots of webcasts going on, um, trying to provide information. But there's a lot of questions still. Uh, You know, we have lots of new tools and and new practices that that winemakers can do, but there's still Uh, a lot of question about what's going to be most effective and if that's going to be effective in the long term. New rises in cases of COVID-19. This included forcing pubs, bars, and restaurants to close at 10 p.m., a measure deemed both pointless and damaging by the hospitality industry. Smaller, yes, but like I said, the fruit that was coming in that looked super healthy looked very good, so we could have some great quality, just perhaps less of it. Table service is mandatory. And now on with the news. allowed to meet in groups of more than six. Most of these measures were previously recommended, but are now enforceable by law. Although many MPs from all parties have been critical of the government bringing in rules such as these without consulting Parliament. Furthermore, hospitality menus must provide access to a QR code, which guests can use to register to track positive cases, although it is not a legal requirement to make use of the QR code. Criticism from the hospitality industry stemmed from the fact that they do most of their business in the evening, with chef Gary Usher of London restaurant Sticky Walnut saying that they would lose 
50% of their business due to the earlier closing, and that in effect being forced to close at 10 o'clock means that their last reservation would have to be at 8 o'clock. Adam Byatt of Trinity, also in London, said, to restrict the already suffering hospitality sector is bad enough, but to inflict a blanket restriction on such a varied sector shows a lack of understanding at the highest level. Pointing out that restaurants, bars, and pubs all have different seating and service options. And to sum up the pessimism in the industry, it was estimated that 23% of pubs in the UK could close, an estimate made before the 10pm curfew came into effect. So the question really is, is what yes, difference does a 10 p.m. curfew make? I mean, I know you and I have been joking about, you know, coronavirus uh, going to sleep at 10 p.m. Um, but seriously, you know, how how is that going to make a difference? And, and how do these restrictions compare to us here in California? Because we're still battling with kind of back and forth between indoor dining and outdoor dining. Uh, masks recommended, but not necessarily enforced in all places and and each restaurant entity kind of calls their own shots and makes their own rules a lot of the time having that kind of pub experience it does make sense to go to a table to be seated and to be served at that table so you're not just bumping into people etc etc and so some of those restrictions make sense but at the same time they've been introduced kind of randomly without really much information without much guidance and without much help to the restaurateurs and the the bar owners who have been really struggling these last six months This week, several major global whiskey producers distance themselves from the Whiskey Bible, which is self-published each year by Jim Murray, as the language used in his reviews was described as sexist. Whiskey writers Philippe Schreberg and Becky Paskin drew attention to some of his descriptors and major producers such as Jack Daniels, Jim Beam Centauri, and Diageo quickly disassociated themselves from reviews of their products. A whiskey from Welsh distiller Penderin, incidentally an all-female producer, was described as, If this was a woman, I'd want to make love to it every night, and in the morning and afternoon, if I could find the time, dot dot dot, and energy, dot dot dot. A whiskey by Glenn Morangi received the description, If whiskey could be sexed, this would be a woman. Every time I encounter Morangi Artisan, it pops up with a new look, a different perfume, and mood. It appears not to be able to make up its mind. But does it know how to pout, seduce, and win your heart? Beam Centauri stated that they had halted all promotions surrounding the latest edition and will no longer promote the World Whiskey of the Year accolade. 
They stated that they will evaluate any future collaborations based on commitment to meaningful change from the author in the future, and that it was extremely disappointed by Murray's language. Diageo commented that the book does not represent their values. Murray himself said, quote, whiskey deals with sensuality. So therefore, for some whiskeys, I may refer to sex, because that is what the whiskey may remind me of. If it does, then I say so. If people can't handle that, then fine. Don't buy the whiskey Bible. If I'm upsetting the woke, the intolerant, the humorless, the pompous, and the whiskey snobs, then I'll lose no sleep over that. End quote. So, Murray's not doing himself many favors here, is he? He is not. And he says um, himself, don't buy the Whiskey Bible. And so I'm okay with that. Um, And hearing you um, read um, those quotes, the descriptors, and also his defense, uh, just brings home how inappropriate that language is and how unnecessary as well. There's many, many ways to describe whiskey and wine. And I really hate it when usually male critics uh, use this language. It's not really appropriate, and I don't think it's really necessary or useful. Well, what it really shows is a lack of vocabulary. As you said, there are many descriptors one can use, and if he feels that he can only uh, use these references to sex and to women in general, then I would say that it's an author I would well overlook. Yes, and um, I was mentioning this to a friend of ours yesterday, and then she's just shaking her head in disbelief, and she said, they're a dying breed. They don't realize it, but no one tolerates them anymore. Here's to that. Back in the UK, borough wine merchants in London have launched a range of 25 wines with a zero-waste focus under the brand name of Artisan. They come in three formats, all of them eco-friendly. There's a returnable bottle, vino tap, and refillable kegs, and many of the wines are vegan or biodynamic. The wines are sourced from small producers from around the world, including Beaujolais, the Southern Rhone, Tuscany and Portugal. The returnable bottles are bottled in London after being shipped in bulk, and customers are encouraged to return them for reuse. Vinotap is an alternative to bag-in-box, made with stainless steel and again returnable. Likewise, the 33-litre kegs can be returned and reused. Muriel Chatel of Borough Wines commented, We know that the bottle is a familiar and much-loved way of serving wine, Yet this traditional model is not the most sustainable. So commercially, this seems very spot on as uh, customers are very kind of sustainable aware. Yes, definitely a sign of the changing landscape of uh, packaging models. And, you know, it's about time after like the beer industry has done with growlers, for example. For some time now, uh, they've implemented this uh, reusable container that consumers can go back to their favorite brewery and have them refilled. Uh, It's something that works really well for consumers, works really well for the brewery, and is a a sustainable option. Uh, So I'm very excited to see that the wine industry is finally getting on board. And I think what we, as you've said, Matthew, there's the consumer is more interested in, in being a part of this uh, fight for sustainability to kind of reduce their carbon footprint. Um, and so with the bag and box and we see wine in pouches now, but this is something I feel could bridge that gap between these sort of bag and box uh, pouch wines and the glass bottle. Because in fact, you know, this, these could be glass way, so um, going back vessels, glass, uh, just something that's returnable and reusable. Um, by the merchant or the uh, distributor. So going back to that. And also um, here in California, 
cons- consumers would often uh, go to the winery, get their jug, fill it up, drink it, go back, fill it up, and so on and so forth. So going going back to those past sustainable models, back to the future. <laughs> And now for our wine of the week, which is Katie. Domaine de Fa, en Basset, Beaujolais 2018. A wine from one of our favorite regions, Beaujolais. It's made by Maxime and Antoine Grayot, uh, sons of acclaimed Northern Rhone producer Alain Grayot. They bought eight hectares of land in northern Beaujolais in 2011 in the cruise of Saint-Amour and Fleury, farming biodynamically from the outset. The slopes the vineyards are located on are called Côte de Bessé, hence the name of the wine, En Bessé, while the name of the winery Domaine de Fa comes from the farm their grandmother grew up in. This is a great introduction to Beaujolais. Fresh, floral, fruity, and crunchy. Uh, approachable now, but yeah, which really can last another three to five years, I think. I think. What do you, th- what do you say, Matthew? Quality. And the two brothers, Maxime and Antoine, are pretty exciting. They're continuing the work their father has done in really promoting the Northern Rhone. It's high quality. And so they're making wine there uh, separately. And then they have this uh, Beaujolais project as well, which um, is a lot of fun, I think. Very attractive label too, kind of modern and contemporary, but not too uh, too weird. And um, yeah, it's just a really exceptional wine and everything that's great about Beaujolais. And if you can hear our dog being annoying in the background, it's because Beaujolais is his favourite wine as well. We, he always loves to smell it. He just loves that kind of pure fruitiness of Gamay. And so he's a bit angry that he doesn't have any to smell right now. Yeah, we have found him to be more of a beer dog than anything, but Beaujolais does get his tail wagging. Cheers to that. So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gone. Join us next week for another Wind Up. And in the meantime, we ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps other listeners searching for the news in wine to find us. Especially if the reviews are positive. That's right. See you next week. Cheerio!